the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic's Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando, and we're always very pleased when you're uh, visiting with us. Uh, Alan Dempsey is our engineer each weekend, and Andrew Herdliska produces the show. Tim Kaufman, Christian vocalist for many years, Bible teacher, uh, now an author. He's our guest. Uh, he's right here in Orlando. Hi, Tim. How you doing? Hey, good morning, Pat. How are you doing, Fred? I- I'm good. But now, Tim, uh, you have become an author. Uh, what's your book about? Well, I uh, yes, I joined that uh, fraternity that you've been uh, a member of and a leader of for a long time. Wrote my first book a couple uh, about. Uh, well, let's see, it came out a year and a half ago. Singing Hallelujah when you feel like hell. What's that mean? Well, uh, for years I um, outran depression. Uh, I was uh, clinically depressed. Uh, but through enough frenetic activity, staying very busy, I was able to outrun uh, depression until it caught up with me the first time in 1991, and I went through a a three-year depression uh, and then began to have some uh, negative experiences uh, again in 2003, and I went on medication for the first time, and wow, what a difference that made uh, for me. And then um, because of shame, uh, because of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to feel like this, especially as a, uh, as a Christian leader, as a person who's standing up uh, before uh, hundreds and sometimes thousands of people. I'm not supposed to uh, be dealing with something like this. And so I weaned myself off of my medication in 2009, and uh, that worked for about six months. And then I had a major uh, crash and burn in 2010 that lasted uh, for almost four years. So what did you do then? Well, what I did was uh, what I should have done at the very beginning of um, uh, 1991 was I should have gone to a doctor, and uh, I didn't um, until I was actually actually forced uh, to go to a doctor because of how critical things were. And I went to uh, a good counselor who said, uh, we're going to get you into a good psychiatrist, And this psychiatrist um, was very wise. He said, tell me about your family history. Well, when I told him that my father uh, had had three clinical depressions, and then I told him that my grandfather had had two clinical depressions, he asked and said, "Um, 
uh, what is your father taking? Well, right there in the office, we uh, called uh, my parents and asked what medication they were on. Uh, the doctor prescribed uh, a very strong dose of the same medication for me and one additional medication. And in about three weeks, um, uh, things began to turn and I could tell that something was being addressed in me physically that had not uh, been addressed before. And what that did was um, that then enabled me to, um, to put to work the cognitive therapy that I was going through. Cognitive therapy is basically how you think, how you interpret events, how you, uh, the, the meaning that you attach to events that happen to you. And uh, I've been through cognitive therapy uh, many times before uh, just by reading good books, you know, the way that you think, uh, positive uh, thinking, et cetera. That's all a, a, a segment or an aspect of cognitive therapy. But it was never able to stick. I couldn't make it, make it take. But when the medical was addressed, cognitive therapy began to work. What's your advice for other people who are struggling in this area, Tim? What do you tell them? What do they say to you? Well, it's interesting, uh, Pat. When I when I sing and speak in churches uh, around the country, uh, the first thing I want them to do is, and, and I mean this very sincerely, I, I ask them, please get a copy of my book because it's very, very practical. Um, I deal in the book with a lot of things like... Um, uh, family history. Uh, I give an overview of depression, what it is, what it isn't. Uh, facing failure. I've got one chapter called uh, Disappointment with God. Uh, another one is The Long Road Back, uh, Facing Sabotage. So I ask them to get uh, my book, but then I also direct them to some other books that will uh, give them some help. And uh, uh, But then I, I tell them the first thing that you need to do is what Charles Stanley said when he was preaching one time on depression, is do something. Now, some people will think um, that means to get up and take a walk or go to a movie. And those are really good first steps, but they're baby steps. What I tell people is, yes, do something, but do something obligatory. In other words, if a lady knows how to cook, uh, call her church and say, is there someone that needs a meal? Well, now she's going to have to talk to those people. She's going to have to find out what they like, what they don't like. Then she's going to have to go shopping. She's going to have to come home, and now she's got purpose. She's got something that she's doing that's actually uh, causing her to forget about herself and actually minister to some other people. But then... Um, at the same time, and, and that's, that's called activity, that's diversion. But what we need to be doing at the same time is going to some kind of counseling or therapy and possibly getting on medication. So I tell people, go uh, call the largest church in your area and find out, first of all, do they have a counseling ministry? If they do, make an appointment. If they don't, who do they recommend? Because the largest churches in a given uh, city or area are the most well-networked, and they're getting these kinds of calls anyway. And so they can find out who they recommend. 
for instance, right here in Central Florida in Orlando, I recommend Bob Foster at Christian Counseling Associates in Altamont. I recommend Dwight Bain over in Winter Park. Uh, there's also the uh, First Baptist Orlando has its own counseling ministry, as does Calvary Assembly. And then uh, there's even uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, RTS, out in Oviedo. Uh, they have a number of students who are uh, majoring in um, uh, studying for the ministry uh, in counseling, and they are putting their classroom work, uh, their, their classroom study to work, and it is incredible the help that people are getting, and it's very economical for people who may have a financial problem. So the two things they need to do is do something obligatory, go to counseling, and begin the process. Uh, isn't uh, it interesting, Tim, as Christians, aren't we meant to have it all together? Uh, that that, that, that we, we, we just don't have these kind of issues, and uh, uh, we, uh, we, we don't even talk about them because uh, we are all glued well together. I mean, isn't that meant to be our attitude? Well, you know, that, um, uh, that's, that's what's supposed to happen, I suppose, in a perfect world, but who lives in a perfect world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that scripture when I was a very young Christian, that Jesus came to give life, and life more abundantly. Well, I attached something to the word abundantly that really wasn't, uh, uh, it, it wasn't complete. Uh, you know, I always thought that meant that you would be up, that you would be on top of things, that you would be always positive. And when I found myself not being that way, well, what was wrong with me? But then I went back and I looked at the word abundant, and it means full. Well, when you think of a glass being full, that means all of the glass is full, and if we experience life as full, we're going to experience all of life, meaning we're going to have those great up times, those fantastic moments, and we're going to have some very down times, some great disappointments. That's the abundant life in Christ, and being in Christ, of course, is the difference, because then he teaches us so much of himself uh, in the down times especially. Uh, Tim Kaufman is our guest. More with Tim right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Embrace your personal style with deals on top flooring trends at Lumber Liquidator's Fall Flooring Sale. Get a rich and classic look with new gilded reserve chestnut and more Bellawood engineered hardwood floors all on sale. 10 to 15% off. Or get new Icelandic oak laminate. It's 23% off. Save up to 34% on waterproof floors. Get more from 39 cents plus special financing and professional installation nationwide. Don't miss it. Visit LumberLiquidators.com to find a store near you today. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. 
Your story of faith and spiritual growth is an important one. And here at 94.9 FM, AM 950, The Word, we're interested in hearing how this station has made a direct and positive impact on your life. Each day, our station and our host enter your busy world full of responsibilities, challenges, and a desire for personal growth. And every day, it is our wish that what you hear from us positively affects you and your family. It may be an encouraging word on a difficult day that recharges you to successfully fulfill a challenge. Maybe it's a message of healing at just the right time. These and other interactions happen regularly, and we would love for you to tell us about it. Here's what we'd want you to do. Visit thewordorlando.com for all the details and type in the keyword story. Record a video message on a camera or a mobile device and share your story with us. And for simply sharing your impact story with us, you'll automatically be eligible to win a grand prize of an Apple iPad Pro and an Apple Pencil. You'll have until October 23rd to share your story. So do it today. Visit thewordorlando.com. That's thewordorlando.com. And use the keyword story for all the details, the contest rules, and to share your video. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Tim Kaufman right here in Orlando. He's our guest uh, talking about his his battle with depression, uh, his book, uh, his ministry. Uh, So what was your family like, Tim, during all this period? My family uh, was wonderful. Uh, It's very interesting that, um, of course, my my father, uh, having been uh, all of his life a depressive, my mother dealing with that, uh, they were super understanding. It was really tough for uh, my wife, Alicia, because she has the type of a personality and the disposition that, uh, frankly, she will never experience depression. She will experience down moments or, you know, maybe a bad day or two, but she is never going to be, uh, be down and out in that way. And so it was really difficult for her. Uh, it was a learning thing uh, for her. And, uh, but she was gracious, she was helpful, she was supportive. In fact, uh, one of the things that really turned uh, for me, uh, Pat, was I looked at her uh, about a year and a half or two into this, and I looked at her and I, I just asked very frankly, I said, why haven't you left me? And she looked at me and kind of cocked her head to the side a little bit, and very compassionately she said, you're my family. Mm. I'm your family. And I thought, I have to get well. And I began to really turn up the effort and began turning over every stone because depression is a very um, uh, complicated web. Um, You know, it's not just neglect or abandonment issues, you know, when we're children. It's not just a... Uh, a peer abuse or a uh, an abusive uh, father or mother. It's not just a substance abuse issue. It's not just a root of bitterness. It's not just a spiritual issue. It's not just a medical or chemical issue. It's a lot of different things. And that's why it's such a journey uh, to wholeness and health for someone who does deal with depression, because you've got to touch all the bases. Um, I used to think that if I would just uh, think differently, that I would that I would be fine. But no, I had to go get the medical. Well, once I got the medical, now I had to reattach new meaning to some things that I had uh, dealt with as um, 
uh, all my life. For instance, I don't know where it came from, but I had a mantra in my head going over and over and over, you'll never be good enough, you'll never have enough. Not good enough, never have enough. And that played over and over and over in my head, so much so that it led to self-sabotage. And I would um, very skillfully, once I got very, very close to success, I would find a way to cause that to unravel. Mm. And so what are the contributing factors? I had to go all the way back in a counseling session and forgive a sixth grade teacher and a baseball coach when I was 15. I had to forgive them in that counseling session, and that was a breakthrough. It wasn't the breakthrough, but it was a breakthrough. And then I recall another time that uh, I had a root of bitterness uh, toward a uh, colleague, and I had to deal with that. And that was a breakthrough. Then when I got on the right medication, that was a breakthrough. So it's a process. And uh, fortunately, uh, my daughter, who uh, did some consulting on the book with me, she's a wonderful writer, uh, she said, uh, Daddy, I think I should work a little bit with you on the book because we all went through it, too. Mm. Interesting. Do you worry about relapses, Tim? Uh, can all this unravel? Um, it, it could if I was not vigilant and taking my medication. It's interesting, Pat, just uh, a few weeks ago, uh, something happened that was pretty, uh, pretty disappointing um, from a career standpoint, from an opportunity standpoint. And if this had been 2010, that it was the kind of event that really could have caused me to crash and burn. But because of what I've been through, but because of the support of the medication and because I knew some good people to call, because you always want good people in your life uh, as a part of your support system. Uh, I have a guy that uh, he calls me every Sunday morning, and if he doesn't call me, I call him Mm. every Sunday morning. And we just, he's a worship leader up in North Florida, and we just touch base every Sunday morning. We pray for each other's Sunday ministry, Mm. and then we're on our way. And uh, you've got to have good people in your life. I'm not concerned about a relapse simply because of all uh, all of the props that are in the place, that are in place. Now, Tim, to anybody who has heard you sing or teach... Uh, they come away saying, that guy is awesome. <laughs> that guy has it all. He is unbelievable. So uh, so when it comes out that this guy is dealing with depression, uh, the average fan of yours, Tim, would say, why? He shouldn't be <laughs> depressed. He's got, uh, he, he's got the whole package. Explain. Well, you know, I first of all, you're you're correct, Pat. Uh, I, I have an amazing family, um, a wife of 37 years that has uh, uh, weathered a lot. I mean, I was gone for 22 years. I was gone uh, an average of uh, 48 weekends a year, and she was a single mom on the weekends 
with uh, four and five kids, uh, and uh, uh, one of them with uh, handicap. And uh, we've got a daughter that's had 13 surgeries, is legally blind, and and some other health issues. And she she just carried that. I've got an amazing wife. Um, I have an amazing ministry, and I've been able to rub shoulders with some of the the great. Uh, Christian giants of, of our time, and um, and yet uh, I I can wake up and I can uh, I can be in a funk. Uh, there can be a cloud, and I I say to myself, "All right, you don't have to stay here. Uh, you don't have to uh, deal with this, other than take your medicine." read your scripture, and express gratitude. And as long as I am in the Word, as long as I am with good people, and as long as I'm walking with the Lord, you're right, I have a great day. What did your years at Word of Life mean to you? The years at Word of Life were so formative. I am so grateful for the five years that I had there. Um, and it's interesting, I, I look back on it now, and I realize I was battling depression uh, even during those years, but uh, Jack Wurtson kept us so busy that we didn't have time, time to get depressed. And so, uh, but traveling, uh, singing, learning sound, learning programming from Harry Ballback, um, it was it was so formative, and I would not be doing what I'm doing today and have been doing for the last uh, 35 years if it was not for Word of Life. I I love Word of Life. How would you describe Jack Wurtson to one who never knew him? Guileless. Um, the guy was um, and, and a great man of faith. Uh, Jack believed God. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I think it's in Mark eleven twenty two. 22, uh, have faith in God is the scripture. And Jack had faith in God. And in five years of working with him, uh, I only saw him one time have a, and it was just a shadow of a doubt. And he asked me to come and pray with him as we were getting ready to launch on a 60-city tour, mm. and he said, uh, he said, Tim, he said, we need God. He said, we could lose the whole ship this fall if we don't uh, cry out to God, and uh, because we have really uh, stepped out by faith, and we have a lot of expenditures that we have no money for. Mm. And Jack Wurtson asked me to come and pray with him, mm. and I thought... Yeah, I'm learning from you, Jack. And um, but boy, that that fall, uh, we saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith in Christ. We did a um, uh, a one-hour uh, presentation on television of that uh, musical, "Let Freedom Ring," and we even got a letter from a guy who was in a hotel getting ready to take his life. Had the loaded gun on the bed. He turned on that program and gave his heart to Christ in that hotel room and wrote us to tell us about it. Mm. And who was Harry Ballback? Harry Ballback uh, was Jack's co-director. Uh, Harry had been a missionary for over 20 years 
uh, in Brazil, had started the first Word of Life overseas ministry in Brazil. And then in the late 60s, uh, Jack asked him to come back to the United States and help him uh, run the ministry from Scroon Lake. And I met Harry's son, Larry, when we were classmates together at Cedarville University in Ohio. And uh, the summer of uh, 74, Larry invited me up to uh, work the summer camp staff. And that little invitation for a a two-and-a-half-month work assignment turned into five years. Mm. Tim Kaufman is our guest. Uh, He's talking very openly about the whole issue of depression. Uh, Tim, to any listeners who are uh, struggling or or that you are really registering with, uh, what do you tell them? Well, I tell them, again, and, and I, I don't want this to sound self-serving, but please uh, buy my book. Uh, it's very practical. It gives uh, step-by-step advice on what to do. I actually have an interview with my counselor uh, in the book, uh, as well as recommendations for what to do, what not to do. It's a step-by-step. Uh, the subtitle is A True Life Story of How to Triumph Through Depression, Not Over Depression, uh, in fact, some of us will never be totally over depression, but we can get through it. Um, and then I tell them, uh, call the largest church in your area, find out who they recommend for counseling, and uh, take their advice, and, um, and then go to the Scriptures and spend some time in the Psalms. Uh, park in the Psalms and read the Psalms. And something will resonate with you, and you will latch on to that. Uh, for instance, one of the scriptures I latched on to was when I was reading in the book of Hebrews. And I read this verse, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. And you know, the Lord just said, look, I'm Tim, I've seen all the work you've done. I've seen how you have helped my people. You're going to continue to help them just in a different way. Now, the next verse says, we want each of you to show this very same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Uh, We can't rest on our laurels. We're still called to be diligent. We're still called... Uh, to not be lazy, but to engage. And we go through depression, and it's a limp that we walk with, but we still walk, just like Jacob did. Tim, it's really nice to talk to you. Uh, How how do people reach you? I I trust you're still singing, right? Yes, I will be. uh, uh, I'm off the month of August, and then I will be... uh, singing and speaking in Delaware at Southside Baptist Church on the 9th for Grandparents' Day. And then um, I'll be in Brooksville, uh, Florida, the last weekend of September, and we are still scheduling meetings. But my website is just timkaufman.com, and my last name has one F in it, K-A-U-F-M-A-N, so timkaufman.com. They can get the book there, and um, uh, we would love to hear from any Uh, pastors or people who would like us to come and uh, sing or speak. Uh, My wife and I do a marriage uh, retreat 
we also do um, uh, local church volunteer staff training, and then I also do a music and a men's workshop. And uh, we would love to come to anyone's church and minister in that capacity if we could be of service. Uh, More after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hello? Hey, I'm so glad you reached out to me. What's going on? I just don't see how my life can get any better. What's going on? Why are you feeling that way? It's everything. It just feels like everything around me is falling apart. If something doesn't change soon, I just don't know what else I can do. You're doing something right now by talking about it. What's something you're concerned about right now? Faithful Counseling is here to help. Our team of licensed Christian counselors want to help you get through this. We can begin a conversation when you're ready by text or phone or even video conferencing from the comfort of your own home. I'd like to give you your first week free. Go to TryFaithfulCounseling.com. Let's talk. Go right now to TryFaithfulCounseling.com. We really want to help you. It's so easy to get started and your first week is free. Go now to TryFaithfulCounseling.com. Let us help help. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. A new trend is in the air. Affordable private air travel to the most popular Florida destinations. Trend Airways is here, where one low monthly membership fee gets you where you want to go fast. Trend Airways offers an unlimited membership that empowers your travel simply, elegantly to Florida's most popular destinations. Just pay one monthly fee, then fly as many times as you like in their network. Go online to iFlyTrend.com or call 407-374-FLY1. That's 407-374-THE-WORD-FLY, the number one. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Christian singer, <clears throat> speaker Tim Kaufman, our guest in that first segment, uh, centered right here in uh, Orlando. Uh, just a reminder, his website is Tim Kaufman with one F dot com. Uh, Jeff Robinson joins us from Louisville, lead pastor of Christ Fellowship Church. He's got a very interesting new book out with Baker Books, 12 Faithful Men. Uh, Welcome, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well, Pat. Doing well. Thank you for having me on. It's a a privilege. What's the background here on these 12 faithful men? What's the story? Well, this really arose from uh, my own uh, experience in pastoral ministry. I've been a pastor for quite a few years, and uh, I, I went to seminary. I taught at a Bible college and seminary for a few years and worked on staff there before I went out in ministry and really thought I was prepared for ministry and prepared for all the eventualities that come seminary did a good job of preparing me. But what I wasn't quite prepared for was the level of suffering 
that I would undergo as a pastor, just all the things that, you know, trying to minister in, in our, our modern-day culture, but really in local church life, all kinds of challenges. And I'm also a church historian, and as I, I thought about my own, uh, my own story and the story of many of my friends, I realized that there's a pattern throughout the history of the church uh, that, uh, that men whom God has used greatly, uh, as A.W. Tozer famously put it, famous dictum that he uh, is accredited as credited saying that uh, God, it's doubtful whether God can use a man greatly before he uh, first bruises him deeply. And so that's kind of like the thesis for the book, and really the thesis for any faithful, uh, faithful man's ministry uh, that you will suffer. And, and, of course, reading Scripture, reading Second Corinthians and many other places in the New Testament throughout the Bible, you realize that God's leaders, God's faithful men, do indeed suffer. And so we wrote this book, Colin Hanser and I uh, edited this book, with multi-author book, of course, uh, with many of our friends. We uh, edited with Ben in mind. We're out in the ministry. Maybe they're struggling. They're or their first time. Young young pastors, in particular, in the first those crucial first five years of ministry, when they tend to, uh, I think about this statistic. I've heard different things: sixty, seventy, eighty percent, even of men who uh, leave the ministry never to return, uh, because I think a lot of them think that suffering is not normative, but it really is. I mean, Scripture is clear. Uh, church history confirms that, and so that's why we wrote the book to encourage. Uh, younger and newer pastors, hopefully, by God's grace. Jeff, the first of the 12 men uh, you write about is Paul, excuse me, the apostle of pastoral affliction. Uh, Discuss that with us. Well, Paul is, is, uh, I mean, Jesus, of course, is the paradigm because our our Lord and Savior walked the Calvary Road uh, and we're, we're called to walk behind it. But I think Paul, in terms of just being a pastor, a church planting pastor, uh, is sort of the illustration par excellence. I mean, you hear him throughout, particularly Second Corinthians, and this appears in many of his letters in the New Testament, but Second Corinthians, he will talk about how you know, we, Second Corinthians 4, we have this treasure, this gospel treasure in jars of clay, and he goes on to say we're, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed, we're perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also manifest in our bodies. And so, I mean, that's a, a massively important statement for a pastor. You're going to be carrying the life of Jesus, or the, or the death of Jesus in your body, and your, your ministry, and the way you carry out your ministry, so that the life of Jesus may be seen by others. And so Paul is kind of the paradigm. So that's how we started with him. We believe that uh, at the Gospel Coalition <clears throat> that it's always right and proper as Christians to start with Scripture. Scriptures are inspired, inerrant, uh, authoritative foundation for everything. So we don't really start with history. Uh, we start with Scripture. But history certainly does confirm Scripture. Now I want you to talk about John Calvin. Well, of course, Calvin is famous, uh, one of the great Protestant reformers, alongside Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and many other uh, men in the 16th century who, uh, through whom God birthed Protestantism, or today what we call evangelicalism, which is a a species of that uh, that's very, uh, very prominent in America today. And I'm, I'm an evangelical, uh, I'm a Southern Baptist, so that certainly describes me. But John Calvin is one of the figures that stands at the figurehead of those waters, or at the, the, the head, uh, headwaters of the, the, that stream. And uh, Calvin, <clears throat> uh, people kind of get the idea that Cal, hear the name John Calvin, you think a lot of things, not all of them good, <laughs> for sure. He's a, a controversial figure, had many enemies throughout history, and con- that continues today. But uh, he was a man who suffered greatly. You think of an ivory tower theologian, but he really was a pastor. Uh, he was a pastor who was exiled from Geneva uh, just uh, not long after he got there and then returned. 
and uh, was under a threat of death for many, many years in his ministry. And so not many people think of that. They tend to think of more of an Ivy Tower theologian. He certainly was, uh, rightly has been accredited with inventing systematic theology with his Institutes of the Christian Religion and all of his Bible commentaries and much, much more. But uh, at the most fundamental level, Calvin was a pastor, and he, uh, he suffered terribly in his ministry. And so we, we kind of started at the Reformation. We could have started in the early church uh, that uh, our the Gospel Coalition is a Reformed group, so we, we started there um, and, and, and began with Calvin. We could have, of course, there's any number of figures we could have included in, in this book. We had to have some kind of framework and boil it down to 12. So we started the Bible and then began our history section, uh, which is the most, uh, takes up most of the book with, uh, with John Calvin. And he's someone who's been kind of a, a bit of a hero of mine um, over the years in ministry as well. Jeff Robinson is our guest. The book, 12 Faithful Men. Jeff, the next man I want you to talk to us about is John Bunyan. Well, John Bunyan is often confused with Paul Bunyan. John <laughs> Bunyan does not have a big blue ox named Dave. <laughs> John, Bunyan, uh, John Bunyan was a very famous Puritan, and not really famous in his day, but really more famous uh, in the centuries since he lived. He lived in the, the early, early to late 17th century. Um, he is the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, which is after the Bible, the King James Bible, I think, is the second uh, best-selling book, Christian book of all time, and rightly so. I try to read the, the Pilgrim's Progress every couple of years. But what fewer people know is that John Calvin wrote, or rather, John Bunyan wrote uh, the Pilgrim's Progress while in jail. Uh, he was a jailbird. So many of our Christian heroes are jailbirds. He was jailed. Uh, he was part of the uh, part of the dissenting church, the Separatist Church. He was a Baptist. Uh, not part of the Church of England, the official state church, officially organized, uh, recognized state church. And so to hold meetings during that time in the 17th century in England uh, during this time was a violation of Lord Clarendon's Code, which is a, a, a code of law, a group of laws that were, were uh, written uh, by Parliament to uh, stamp out dissent among the churches. So it was illegal to preach the gospel under any uh, banner than the Church of England during this time. And so uh, anyone who was caught doing this was arrested. Bunyan was arrested. Uh, they knew his crimes were mild. They offered him the opportunity to uh, to leave after a very short time and go home if he promised not to preach the gospel. To which Bunyan replied, if you let me go home, I'll be preaching this gospel by the gospel by this time tomorrow. Uh, and God help me if I do not preach the gospel. And so they kept him in jail for a long, long time. And uh, so, so it's, uh, it's incredible what the Lord did through him in prison. He wrote uh, his uh, testimony, Grace Abounding to the Chief Among Sinners, which is another very famous work. But all these were a product of suffering. And it's incredible to know how God has used these men and how these books, uh, how John Bunyan's works, and of course many others, uh, so during, uh, Puritan, uh, in Puritan uh, England and Puritan New England and the New World, but many whose works continue to be used of God. Uh, powerfully today, and particularly in my own life. I'm sitting in my study, and I can look around, and I, there are literally dozens of Puritan books in my, uh, in my library, and many of them came uh, out of suffering. And uh, so these, these guys are my pastors in many ways, and uh, are to many, many of my friends. So you see how God works and, and continues to build His church, as Jesus promised, in the midst of suffering, in spite of all appearances to the contrary. Jeff Robinson, our guest from Louisville. <clears throat> the book, 12 Faithful Men. Uh, here comes Jonathan Edwards. He's next, Jeff. I want you to talk about him. Well, Jonathan Edwards is uh, probably uh, one of the uh, better-known figures in here by many 
Edwards was, I think, unquestioned, uh, the greatest theological mind America has ever produced. He was, along with George Whitfield, one of the great figures of the First Great Awakening in in Britain and America, uh, certainly on this side of the ocean. Uh, He is known, uh, most noteworthy, for having preached the uh, the sermon "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," which of course is about hell uh, and uh, the necessary, the necessity for every uh, every person to repent and, and follow Jesus. And and so, but but Edwards, uh, fewer know that Edwards was actually fired from his pastorate uh, in, in Northampton, in New England. He he was fired for uh, disagreement, essentially over the Lord's Supper. And uh, many pastors, if you're out there listening and you're a pastor, you can probably. Uh, you can probably relate to being fired. Like one of my uh, seminary professors, Danny Aiken, who's now the president of Southeastern Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, always said, you've not really made it in the pastoral ministry until you've been fired or run off from the place. And that's true of Edwards, but not many people would think that of him. Uh, he went on to be to uh, to be a missionary among the Indians. Uh, at that time, of course, died young uh, because of inoculation. This is going to be uh, a, a college president. But uh, few, few people know that. Fewer people know. They know more from the sinners in the hands of an angry God, and they know he was a great mind. But that's Edward's story, and it's very common among pastors. He was, it wasn't a trivial uh, reason he was fired. It was a theological reason. The theology is always important. But relatively speaking, it, it was, it was uh, trivial in the sense of the doctrine he was fired for, having seen revised. Uh, the book is called Twelve Faithful Men. Baker Books put it out. Uh, Here's the next man. His name is John Newton. Uh, We know about him, don't we, Jeff? Well, well, we should, because John Newton uh, wrote the most famous hymn that makes it into movies and has made uh, made it into the popular conscience in so many ways. He wrote Amazing Grace. And, of course, we know the famous line, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And John Newton is, uh, is famous for that hymn. But he was a pastor. He was an old uh, slaveholder, saved by God's grace, helped end slavery, uh, of course, into England. In England, as uh, was a major part of that. He's known for those things. Uh, known for writing letters, uh, perhaps the greatest letter writer, uh, pastoral letters to a congregation uh, in, in church history. I have uh, all his works again. They're even on my bookshelf. I can see them from here, and I benefit from reading his letters regularly. But he had a hard time getting a pastorate. Um, and many young men will come out of uh, seminary. I know I did. I had a, an MDiv and a PhD, and I had significant preaching experience, and I had been a pastor, a part-time, pa- a bivocational pastor for a short time, or, or, or really a few years, and, and I had a really hard time getting a, a pastorate. And so did John Newton. He had a hard time uh, gaining ordination in the Church of England. And again, that's something that many, many younger pastors, newer pastors can relate to, is sending out a hundred, two hundred resumes, and having to wait, and of course, all the while God is doing this incredible work of sanctification and making you wait. I don't like to wait. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you don't like to wait. Not many of us does like to wait. Uh, but John Newton had to wait, and he. Uh, I think a lot of the letters uh, that he writes, such tender, uh, loving pastoral letters, arise from things like this that he's been through, uh, ha- having to wait. But a man so gifted, so talented, and yet the Lord made him wait and did a lot of great things in making him like Jesus uh, through the waiting. Uh, do most uh, young men have to wait? And, and I guess the next question would be, Jeff, uh, <clears throat> do many of them go out and start their own churches? 
Well, nowadays, in, in 2018, that is a trend, uh, particularly in my denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, there's much, much as widespread church planning going on because <clears throat> there are lots of dying churches. Because that's sad reality. Uh, and so many men do, but there also are a lot of men who are committed to going and continuing maybe a faithful pulpit ministry somewhere where a man has, uh, I know my first pastor, and I saw a man had been uh, in, in there 25 years, been very faithful, and I was able to, to continue that on for a few years. And, uh, and, and, but there's some who will go to a place to revitalize the church, but that often, uh, that doesn't always happen right after seminary. I know I've had many friends who had to wait one, two, three, four years. And, of course, you, you begin to question things like you're, you're calling them. I really called them, and God, you call me. You want me to go preach the gospel? Uh, you've, you've given, allowed me to get this education. And, may, and not always seminary trained, but I have more seminary trained men in mind here. Um, and uh, they have to wait. Uh, and, and so uh, that's part of why we're trying to encourage them to, to just, just wait on the Lord. And uh, he will do great things. I know he did in me. Jeff Robinson is our guest. Uh, we've got another segment with Jeff. Uh, just a reminder, uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. And when we come back, we still have to talk about Andrew Fuller and Charles Simeon and John Chavis, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle. Uh, stay with us. More with Jeff Robinson right after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. On the next Uncontainable Podcast, have we got some necessary truth for you. Kevin McCullough, will you join us? Dr. Ed Young, Dr. Greg Laurie, and Jeff Shreve all tackle the very, very tough topic of why suffering happens to people. There's a variety of reasons and a variety of responses that we might be tempted to pursue. But what's the right one? Next time on Uncontainable at ChristianRadio.com and this station's website. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit, 800-786-9300. That's 800-786-9300. 800-786-9300. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 530 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. 
You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Jeff Robinson is the lead pastor of Christ Fellowship Church of Louisville. Uh, We're talking about his book, 12 Faithful Men. And as advertised, Jeff, Andrew Fuller is next. Uh, Tell us about him. Well, and sadly, Andrew Fuller uh, is one of the lesser-known figures in here. Now, he is well-known to me. I also serve as a, a teaching fellow at the Andrew Fuller Center for Baptist Studies at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So we know all about, all about him. We are republishing his, uh, his works, critical editions of his works, um, even now, and I'm one of the editors on that committee. <clears throat> but Andrew Fuller was the, what you might call, we often call the rope holder for the modern missions movement. He was very close to William Carey, who is often called the father of the modern Protestant missions movement, uh, certainly in, in Europe. Uh, and uh, he, he uh, was really the theologian. Uh, he wrote, a, uh, he, he wrote uh, many, many, many famous works. He engaged in many, many uh, theological debates during the time. And, and, and those things are known to people, to Baptists in particular, who know Andrew Fuller, uh, that he uh, supplied the theological rationale. He interacted with Jonathan Edwards on the matter of the bondage of the will, of course, which you know, Christians debate still today. Uh, and, and the question, what they call then the modern question is, is it the, uh, is it the duty of every man, woman, boy, and girl to repent and believe in Christ if they don't have the moral ability? So that was a big question. And so he's known for that, but what is lesser known about, less known about him uh, is the fact that he outlived nine of his children, mm. buried a wife. And you read his memoirs and his, his, uh, his letters, and they just, they're sad. They, he, you can tell they, that he uh, just bled uh, internally over this. And not even, he didn't have this, a lot of anxiety over where God was. He knew that God was sovereign, that God was, uh, God was right in the middle of this, that God, uh, there's not a, you know, one atom or molecule outside of God's sovereign control. Uh, and he certainly, uh, that, that upheld him. But you see how, you know, we're called to weep for those who weep. Well, he wept a lot. <clears throat> I mean, can you imagine burying nine children? My and then one of his sons uh, sort of apostatized from the faith and went off and joined the Merchant Marines. And he never—he grieved probably worse. His greatest grief was over him. His name was Robert, uh, Robert Thor. And we, we, we know now that Fuller died. He never heard from Robert. He thought he died at sea. His son had, been, uh, had, uh, had died at sea. But he learned, uh, we, we, learned, we learned later, after Andrew Fuller's father died, that that uh, uh, there's, uh, there's some, some letters had been written by another man who's the Merchant Marines with him who gave a fairly certain, uh, fairly certain testimony that Robert had come to faith in Christ. Uh, not totally sure, of course, and only, only the Lord knows. Uh, but uh, Andrew Fuller never knew that. So he, he many of us, uh, my wife and I, we've lost a child. Many have lost children, but, I mean, nine children? That is just unconscionable. Of course, the, uh, the the infant mortality rate during this age was staggering. I mean, less more than half. So death was all around uh, Puritan America. Uh, no, the advent of modern medicine was a lot still, uh, still a hundred years uh, off, or, or around a hundred years. And the penicillin to be discovered uh, 68, 70 years later. But certainly, modern medicine was far off, and so death was their constant companion. And that's something pastors, whether they do lots of funerals. Uh, I did 18 in one year at one point in my ministry mm. in a small church, uh, or your own, maybe your own family, that uh, death is one of the saddest things, particularly death of a child, one of the saddest, most grueling 
uh, things you'll ever face in life. And Andrew and Fuller faced it time and time again. Now I want you to tell us about Charles Simeon. Well, Charles Simeon uh, was uh, in, in the, the Church of England. Uh, he was born uh, edu- educated in Cambridge, uh, at Eton College, highly educated man. Uh, he was... Uh, Kind of a kind of a post-Puritan figure. Uh, we have uh, we have many of his works available today, and and Simeon. Uh, what's unique about him is the kind of congregation uh, that he that greeted him when he went into his first pastorate. Um, to say they were irascible is uh, a gross understatement. They back in those days uh, they had doors on pews. They paid rent. Families would pay rent, annual rent or quarterly rent for pews. Uh, you know, Southern Baptists, we don't pay <laughs> we don't pay rent for pews, but we have our pews. Well, they have their pews uh, that the family would rent. They had visitors; they would sit in pews. They <clears throat> they all had they all had doors on them, and so they uh, they sat out his first few years of ministry. They locked the doors to the pews. They locked him out of the church. They wouldn't show up. He had replaced a beloved minister, and uh, they they rejected him. Uh, they felt like he had politicked his way into his uh, ministry there. He was accused of that, and so for many years they wouldn't hear his preaching, but he stayed. Uh, I don't know. I'm fairly certain I I would have been sending out my resume. I would have gone elsewhere, but but Charles Simeon was faithful. And in spite of their irascibility, he stayed and wound up having a a long and faithful ministry. And so that uh, that is certainly something that modern pastors can relate to, because at some point your congregation— is going to rise up against you. And sometimes it's necessary if your church is in need of reformation or if you preach unsound doctrine or something. But but often it's just, uh, it's bewildering. But it'll happen. It's happened to me. It happens to virtually every pastor out there. And uh, it certainly happened to Charles Simeon. But, you know, our point is, look what God did uh, because he stayed and was faithful to what God had called him to. He did a great work, both in Simeon and through Simeon. And again, that, that's kind of the theme over and over here that we, uh, we're seeking to communicate to today's pastors. Jeff, before we run out of time, uh, I do want you to discuss Charles Haddon Spurgeon, please. Yes, no, uh, <clears throat> no show about suffering in the pastoral ministry would be complete without uh, the great C.H. Spurgeon, the great uh, the Prince of Preachers, uh, one of the greatest preachers probably in, in the history of the Church, certainly during the Elizabethan England, mm. um, won thousands upon thousands of souls to Jesus, uh, pastored the first megachurch uh, we're aware of in Church history, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, uh, was called to ministry as a teenage boy, a powerful testimony of God's grace, the power of God's Word, converted at 16, just a ducked into a, a Methodist meeting uh, one, on a Sunday evening to get out of the snow and the regular preacher couldn't make it, so a deacon arose and just read a passage of Scripture. It was cut to the heart uh, and converted powerfully to Christ. The preacher began to preach the gospel and preached a thousand sermons. Uh, still in circulation today, I'm, uh, you know, I have volumes of those that I read and benefit from myself, and, and many of us do. But Charles Spurgeon, uh, because of some events that happened uh, early on in his ministry, suffered from terrible anxiety and, and depression. Um, and, and again, not, not, that's not something that, unless you study Spurgeon, you don't know that quite as well. Um, there were some, the, his church met at the Surrey Music Hall, and in 1856 there was a terrible a collapse. Someone yelled fire in a balcony. There was a stampede, and a, I think part of the balcony collapsed, and several were killed. And this was early, Spurgeon was a young man, and, and 
uh, when this happened, he, he lapsed into depression. He nearly left the ministry. Uh, he, uh, and then from that point on throughout his ministry, he, he was a man of sorrows, much like our Lord Jesus, but he, he battled anxiety and depression and would uh, battle gout and many physical ailments, and they only exacerbated the depression. Uh, but he would often go away to, to, to France and, and, uh, and then tone other, other places for, uh, to, to, for healing, to get away from the ministry, because the, what, he, what God accomplished through him is just simply staggering. The numbers, if we had time, are just absolutely staggering in terms of just the, the, the college he planted, the, the, the social work he did in England, uh, in some of the poorest places. But he was often... Under uh, locked into the uh, what John Bunyan would Pilgrim's Progress would call the Dungeon of Despair, and uh, and uh, Charles Spurgeon interacted, read the Puritans often. They were his pastors as well for that very reason. He was locked in the Dungeon of Despair often, and uh, was uh, uh, often tempted to quit the ministry, but persevered. He did die at a rather young age in uh, in, in 18, 1852, and so uh, 58, relatively young age. Uh, and, and, and as did uh, as did Edwards and, and other other men, many of these men died young. But Spurgeon uh, is someone that about every, almost every, virtually every pastor out there who's done ministry for very long uh, can relate to. I know I've battled some of those things myself, and it's something I did not experience. So I went in ministry, and I went in ministry when I was in my 40s in terms of pastoral ministry. My first pastor it was in my early 40s. And battled uh, anxiety, and because you, like the Apostle Paul, as he says in Second Corinthians 11, you have it. Yeah, he, he he rehearses this this litany of suffering he's been through: danger in the city, danger in the country, and 39, 30, 40 lashes less one, uh, and all these things he said. And then there's my and then there's my anxiety over the churches because he's a pastor and he loved his people. My guest has been Jeff Robinson. We have a wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. We share your values. We're the law offices of Alper and Eastry. Hi, I'm attorney Karen Eastry. And at the law offices of Alper and Eastry, our goal is to be here and to always help you do what's best for your family. This includes legal support for all aspects of estate planning, probate, wills, and trust matters. At Alper and Eastry, we share your values, transfer of property, providing for your children, and more. You don't have to leave these decisions to your loved ones at one of the most painful times in their life. We can give you the inner confidence knowing that you are doing the right thing for your family. And you can always call me for a no obligation initial consultation at 407-869-0900. That's 407-869-0900. Find out more at altamontlaw.com. The law offices of Alper and Eastry. We share your values. Non-lawyer announcer. Offices Altamont Springs. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Singer and author Tim Kaufman, our guest in the first segment. And then we swung over to Louisville and Jeff Robinson joined us, uh, the editor of the book 12 Faithful Men. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. Uh, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. 
And my most recent book is called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. Uh, We take a look at the great coach John Wooden and the summer camps that he ran for many years in the L.A. area. So much to learn uh, from the life of the, uh, the famous coach John Wooden. Uh, We'll be back for more next weekend, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Alan Dempsey once again will engineer for us, and Andrew Herdliska will produce a terrific show next week. Uh, So stay tuned to 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. From the Filatowski LASIK Institute Studios, this is 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. WTLN Orlando. Where faith comes by hearing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.